Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us on ASHP's Practice Journeys podcast. This podcast invites members to share their stories about their professional past, their lessons learned, and how their experiences have shaped who and where they are today. My name is Hannah Vanderpool. I'm the Vice President of Member Relations at ASHP, and I'll be your host today for our podcast. With me today is Daniel Koba, my friend and my colleague, who is the Editor-in-Chief of AJHP and the Vice President of Publishing at ASHP. In recognition of pride, ASHP produced a series of podcasts with LGBTQ leaders in pharmacy to celebrate their journeys. And Dan has served as the host for these podcasts. And now it's time for us to get to know Dan better and hear about his journey. Dan, are you ready to get started? I am, Hannah. This is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to talking with you today. All right. I'd like to start with your professional pathway. And when reading your bio, it started out as traditional. You have your BS and PharmD degree. You did a postgraduate residency. And then you took roads less traveled by in your fellowship, your practice career positions in poison control, toxicology, emergency medicine, and research. And now even within ASHP, you served in various roles. Was this divergent path an intentional decision? Can you walk us through some critical junctions of your career decisions? Yeah, well, you know, it's really funny. When I talk to students, you know, how we have students come in a lot to see us who are on rotation at ASHP, and they always want to know about your career. And what I frequently say to them is, there are two things. Number one, expect that your that life is not linear and that you will take a circuitous path. You're sitting here today thinking you're going to do one thing. And lo and behold, especially when you have the opportunity to look back after 30-some years of being in, a, in the profession and you realize that it went in a different way than you initially expected. So I think that some perspective is important. You know, I was a pharmacy student in the you know, early to mid-1980s, and the profession was a lot different then. Even hospital and health system practice were extremely different. There just weren't as many choices. And I was trying to figure it out. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was flummoxed in terms of where do I, where do I want to go next? And one day, uh, I was a fourth year pharmacy student in, I guess, the fall of 1985. And this big, tall guy came in to do a lecture in our drug information course, um, Ed Krenzelock, who was the director at the time of the Pittsburgh Poison Center and on the faculty at Pitt, where I did my BS. And I was, I was enchanted, uh, with the the content and it sort of immediately gave me direction and so i I always tell the students you know it's just sort of funny thinking back on it now the times because again it was the mid 80s so what did i do i i sent him a letter actually wrote a letter had my mother who was a secretary type it she typed it for me 
brought it home. I proofread it. I'm sure I sent it back because I think I was a little bit of an editor even back then. Sent it back with um, a few edits to it. She brought it back and, and I signed it and sent it off to Ed. And if I recall correctly, I got a letter in return as well from him. And so I went in to see him at the Pittsburgh Poison Center and ended up spending the summer between my fourth and fifth years of pharmacy school interning at, as a volunteer intern at the Poison Center. And was I, I had found my niche. And then I, so I applied to PharmD program, but I went into my PharmD program uh, knowing that when I got done after my PharmD program had associated with it a hospital pharmacy residency. So when I got done with the degree and my residency, I was going to go back to do a clinical toxicology fellowship at the Pittsburgh Poison Center. So it was, I guess I was lucky I went to class that day because it affected my, my whole career. And from that point forward, the way I, there is, there is, <laughs> in, a, in a way I feel a little bit how do I say this? It's it's a bit awkward to say that not much of it has been conscious in terms of decision making because it it doesn't make me sound very focused. But it's I guess it's all worked out okay. I'll leave that to others to decide. But but so so fast forward a bit. I did my fellowship. I was fortunate enough to get a job working with a woman who was the medical director for the Pittsburgh Poison Center, and she was an emergency physician at one of the university hospitals in Pittsburgh. I was working there for a few years as the coordinator of an inpatient toxicology program. And I went in to talk to her one day and said, I just wanted to let you know, I'm thinking about looking around because I just feel the need to make a change. And she said to me, well, it's really interesting that you would say that because I'm doing the same. And she told me at the time, her name's Sandra Schneider. She's a, an executive now at the American College of Emergency Physicians. And she said to me, I'm looking at the position of chair of emergency medicine at the University of Rochester. And if I go, I would like you to, to go with me and to be responsible for two things, emergency medicine research and the Poison and Drug Information Center. And that happened. And so it was because you know, I'd met Sandy and we had this relationship. And from there on, it I, I think it was just a series of decisions that weren't necessarily extremely planned out, but just happened and worked out very well. The, the last um, one, uh, well, I'll give you two. When I made the decision to go to ASHP, I was working for another organization at the time, and I've, I've gotten very honest after, this is about 18 years ago, so I've, I've started to use it as a teaching moment with the students, and I'll, I actually am very honest with them and say that I was working in an organization that was a hostile work environment, and I needed to make, this was another professional association, and I need, needed to make a decision to make a change. And and so I did that. And there were a lot of complicating factors. Nicolas, who's my husband at the time, was um, here. He had just gotten a job and his visa to live in the United States was tied to his job. We didn't have rights that other people had in the United States because our, our relationship wasn't recognized. Um, we weren't married at the time, but we didn't have the ability to get married. It was a very tenuous situation. So I needed to find a job in Washington in my field. I knew ASHP very well. I'd been a member. I trained in Sister Gonzalez Duffy's 
pharmacy department. So I was steeped in ASHP from early in, as a student. And so there was an opening at ASHP. And so I applied, had nothing to do with my area of specialty. As you know, Hannah, it was home, ambulatory, and chronic care. I think those, those specialists in, those area, in that area wondered how they got stuck with me. But we did some really good work together, I think. And uh, that started my ASHP career because I knew ASHP was a really good organization from knowing it from the member side. And I just had this really strong sense that it would be a good organization to work for. And I made that leap. And again, everything that has happened for me at ASHP has been because there are just wonderful opportunities have presented. And that's sort of where it went. I I feel like I've just droned on forever about my career. I I avoid doing that (laughs) as much as possible. Well, what I heard in in your reflection is that and, and I feel this way, too. When I was going through pharmacy school, I didn't know what I really wanted to do. But what I heard you say is that you were very self-aware of your interests and you're open to that. And that um, you sought mentors and mentorship. And that led you to um, making some nice leaps of faith, um, given some of that guidance and mentorship with people. And I think that's, that's a beautiful story, too. But one thing I did not know about you, Dan, is that um, your career started by writing a letter. And, and so now you have this path or this pattern now of writing letters um, because you wrote a very personal letter um, that was published in Letters to Young Farm, our Letters to Young Pharmacists book. And it was titled Loving Being Exactly Who You Are. And in your letter, you talk about the relationship between who you are as a person and the connection to who you are as a professional. And there might be members of the LGBTQ community listening to this who are trying to decide whether to keep their personal identity separate from their professional identity. So how did you decide to address this question yourself? Yeah. Well, and it's something that evolved over time for sure. And I think that it is a very personal decision. I actually get annoyed a lot when you have conversations with people and there'll be some famous person who just came out and people will say, well, why didn't they do it years ago? They could have helped the cause so much more if they'd been out and had been an advocate earlier. And I always say in those cases, well, even though they happen to be famous, they're still a private person and they deserve as we all deserve the opportunity to do this in our own time frame. So I would say for me, it was a sort of a 13 year process. And it started though, you talk about conscious decisions, very consciously. When I had that conversation with Sandy Schneider about going up to the University of Rochester, one of the things that I said to her was, I'm very interested in going with you there However, there's one thing that I want to talk about before I go, because it's really important to me. And her response was, I know what it is, and we only have to talk about it if you want to. And she, she, very, she really made it very comfortable for me to have the conversation with her about the fact that I was gay. And that was the first time I'd had a conversation with a professional colleague about it. And I made a decision that when I went to Rochester, 
I was opening a new door, starting a new phase of my life, and that I was going to live and work very much as an out gay man. And again, in that time period, it was really important for a number of reasons. One, we were still in the pre-cocktail period with HIV AIDS. And there were people, we were in the, still in the really the thick of the crisis. People were, uh, many people were still dying. And I felt that there was, it was important to live as an honest, authentic person, especially at that time. But in terms of relationships, you know, I can think back to when I was in pharmacy school, when I was in my residency, my PharmD program, my residency, fellowship, early in my career. I know that I put walls up between myself and other people because I didn't want them to get too close. And I even, I think, probably walked away from some friendships because I felt like it was getting too close and I couldn't figure out how to balance everything. And the unfortunate part of that is that when you're, when you can't reveal everything about who you are, I think it just really affects the depth of the relationship. And I've had conversations in retrospect with some people who are very important to me today and were very important to me then. I think of Pat Kroboth, who's the dean of the School of Pharmacy at Pitt, who was my department chair back then. She and I have talked about it. My Ed Krenzelock and I have talked about it. Um, Sandy Schneider and I have talked about it. And I just, I think really the your relationships don't, achieve the complete depth that they can if you if you can't be exactly who you are. So that drove my decision and I don't regret it. But I think if you think to the interviews to the other podcasts, you heard similar comments from Alexander Gilmer, from Glenn Gard, from Lindsay Kelly, from Jorge Garcia and Lainer Martinez. They we all went through that same process and you know, achieved it at different points. Lindsay, I think, made the point that she very consciously made a decision one day that she was tired of talking in gender-neutral pronouns. And there you have it. Dan, you've been an influencer and an advocate for our LGBTQ members and patients. Just as a few examples, um, you sought AJHP content on the pharmacist's role in transgender care. And you've published guidance for LGBTQ candidates who are navigating the residency process. Have you consciously embraced your role as an influencer or an advocate, or has this evolved over the years? Talk to me about that. Well, I think I would say it's been conscious. And I, I think that's you know part of the story about even making decisions is and to where I got. One part of that I didn't get to talk about was my relationship with Paula Bramowitz, ASHP's CEO. And I, for many years, was at the ASHP Foundation and had really committed myself professionally to the work of the foundation. And then the job as the editor of HHP came open. And I sort of, again, was flummoxed and trying to figure out what made most sense. And I went in to talk with Paul and he gave me some of the best advice that anyone could ever give me. And that was, he gave me very little advice. He asked me some important questions and we talked about some important considerations and thinking about 
you know, what your career legacy, what you want it to be. And he really helped me reach my decision without guiding me too much. And so a leap forward a little bit as I became the editor of AJHP and in an environment that Paul created that I think has been extremely open to diversity, equality, inclusion, I made a conscious decision that I wanted to leave as part of my mark on the journal, being on the cutting edge on some topics that I didn't think other pharmacy journals were there yet. And hopefully they would follow. And I think that, in fact, has been the case. So the first thing was when when we started to hear more and more about transgender people, and it became more part of the mainstream conversation, I actually started thinking, this is really interesting. What happens you know, pharmacodynamically with people who have gone through gender reassignment, for example? How does this affect the disposition of drugs? And so I started to think about these things. So I started to think about content. And that led to uh, acquiring several journal articles that relate to the the care of transgender people. And the interesting thing about that, and the really nice thing, was that it also sent a message to authors who were working in that space that AJHP was very interested in that content. Along those same lines, uh, when at some point, I I honestly don't recall the exact genesis of the article, but I thought that it would make sense. It was probably a conversation with, could have been a conversation with Janet Sylvester. I thought that it might make sense to give residency applicants guidance on how to go through the process that they were LGBTQ and to identify programs where they, that would provide a, a comfortable learning environment for them. And so I had great fortune to work with this author team that was led by Clay Daniels, who is at St. Jude's. And I met Clay when he was on, very similar to Jorge Garcia and Lainer Martinez, I met Clay when he visited ASHP as a resident, one of those Friday visits that we have. And he volunteered to take on the lead author role, but he was able to get Chris Scott and Lindsay Kelly, as well as Tate Trujillo to serve as co-authors. And they wrote this incredible discussion of how a candidate could go through it. So yeah, Hannah, it has been, I guess, a bit of a conscious decision. As you know, the decision to pursue an LGBTQ reception at the mid-year was one that we talked about a lot. And I think it's one of the just one of the many great decisions that we've made around the mid-year, a really, really good one because it provides an environment for people to meet other people, to network. And it says to them that ASHP as an organization really supports you and embraces you. Well, one of the stories behind that reception, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, um, relates to a student that we had on rotation at ASHP. And he personally was struggling deciding whether to come out or not at the time he was pursuing a residency. And he had an orientation meeting with you, and it was um, very impactful. And after his orientation uh, with you, 
then he had one with me and he shared with me how impactful that was with him. And we had a lot of great conversations, but even after he left ASHP, he contacted me and he said, wouldn't it be great if we had a reception at the mid-year? And it was just one of those seeds that, that started that action. But um, I do think that that time that he spent with you um, was the genesis of that, which is great. And, and I mentioned a lot of the advocacy and, and the influence that you have. And some of the examples we use were very public, searchable, readable. But I think what um, some people don't understand is the role that you have as an influencer and an advocate kind of behind the scenes with our members, whether through it's your role with senior leadership team and um, just bringing up different aspects of ASHP policy or just, you know, on an individual basis, creating a community and building relationships with so many people, um, starting with student pharmacists and residents and, and practitioners. Um, it's been very heartening for me to see how you've brought that leadership to ASHP. Thank you. It's, I think the most important part of it is that what we're really seeing is we're seeing this critical mass of people who are now taking on that role and are doing a number of things. And to me, that's the, the really heartening thing that, you know, to be able to be there to help plant some seeds and water them and make sure that we took good care, but now to see other people really taking it on and embracing. It's just incredible. So I have really enjoyed listening to this podcast series and everyone's been, you know, very open and honest and they're all very successful and confident people in their own right. But as I've listened to the podcast series, I have heard a common theme and that is one of uncertainty and even fear in some aspects. And as a role model, as a mentor um, to many, what has propelled you to work through any uncertainty and fear in your personal and professional life? Yeah. And what I would say to especially those people who are listening, who are thinking about their own individual decision making, first thing I would say is uncertainty and fear are perfectly normal. And don't be concerned that those are in some way abnormal. They're completely normal and you will work through them. Uh, when, you, when I take a step back and I listen, when I think about the conversations with, again, Alexander, Lindsay, Jorge and Lane or with Glenn, I agree that each and every one of them talked about those moments of uncertainty and fear. But then when I, then I take a step back, and this is, again, what I would say to especially the younger people who are listening, listen to how inspirational they are and their stories. They're all inspirational, and they all are doing such amazing things. But the anxiety, the fear, it's, it's normal, and you work through it. The, I think the society has evolved an awful lot. And so I think that does help a great deal that our society has evolved. And if you look at the polls on questions about, do you know somebody who's LGBTQ? Or what, what are your feelings about same-sex marriage or about service in the military or employment discrimination? All of those numbers have shifted. So the society has evolved 
but still it's a very individual process. And I would say to younger people, if you can seek out mentors, seek out good friends at your own pace and when you're comfortable with it and you feel safe doing it, you know, you know, reveal yourself to those that you care about because it will enrich your life and it in fact will help you move beyond that anxiety and fear. But I'll tell you one of the the comments that really struck me or as I reflect on the interviews was Alexander Gilmer, who talked about how every time he moved from one place to another, he had to start over. And that that anxiety, that fear creeped in. And I and I said, well, what about San Francisco? Because you know, San Francisco is it's it's going home for LGBTQ people. It's the it's the heart of the movement in many ways. And even there, going to San Francisco and starting a new job, Alexander said, you have to start over. And I I had that same experience. I can remember as out as I was when I started at ASHP. It's once again, you have to start having the conversation. One of the really interesting experiences is when you come across people that you've not seen for maybe 30 years. I had dinner at the mid-year last year with a guy who was one year behind me in pharmacy school, had dinner with him and another friend of ours. And I realized during dinner that I had to, you know, make it clear to him as we started to talk about families and those types of things, that I was gay and that I had a husband. And even as comfortable as I am, there's like a twinge. There's still a little twinge there. And I think it's it's very interesting when you have this conversation with somebody who was part of your life at a different point in time. So but it's something that that can be overcome for sure. So I wanted to talk to you about your spouse, Nicholas. You mentioned him earlier in the podcast. I suppose he's partly one of the reasons why ASHP has benefited from you, uh, well, that you stayed in Washington, D.C. for him as well. Um, I'm curious, how has Nicholas shaped who you are today? Um, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about him and what do you think he would share with us about you as a spouse and a professional? Well, he shaped me in a a lot of ways. And when Nicolas and I met, he was living in London. I was living in Rochester, New York. We had a long distance relationship for about two and a half years. He's Argentine. He, He grew up in Buenos Aires. And we figured out a way to to get to the same city. He got accepted into a master's in law program at Georgetown University. And I got a job with the American Association of Poison Control Centers here in Washington. And so we were able to be in the same city. So we've been together going on 23 years. So it's been a while. Uh, He, what I always say is that he still enchants me after 23 years because he's really, really smart. He's extremely curious. He's funny. We have a lot of things in common that we enjoy doing together from travel. And he's probably brought out even more of my passion for travel. There are probably places before that I dreamed about going to that he maybe realized it was possible to to go to. I don't know if before meeting Nicolas, if I thought that I would go to Morocco or to Vietnam or 
Cambodia, but we we both love to read. We are great fans of movies. It's one of the things that's causing us some of the greatest angst during the pandemic to not be able to go to a movie on a Saturday night. But he is probably one of my biggest cheerleaders, if not my very biggest cheerleader, and just is always there, always supports me. And even if he doesn't agree with the decision, he supports me, he always gives me really good advice. And he has his own very accomplished career with the Pan American Health Organization. And it's interesting that we both work in health and his advice is in- incredible. Probably what he'd tell you about me is I need to stop worrying. I'm a worrier by nature and I, I worry about everything and sometimes worry too much about things. And he, he would probably tell you that I need to just relax a bit and stop worrying and that everything will be okay and you know, just have a little bit more self-confidence. Uh, <laughs> those are probably some of the things that he'd say. I think we're all like that in the privacy of our own homes. And I think that's what we lean on our partners for, for sure. So, um, you know, I want to shift the conversation over to, to mentorship. You mentioned that earlier uh, when you were talking about your career path. And one of the things that struck me um, in your letter that you wrote to Letters to a Young Pharmacist was a quote that a mentor shared with you that served as meaningful advice for you over the years. Can you share that quote with us and talk about its significance to you? It's interesting. So this quote just, uh, well, the quote was, forever stay open, curious, fearless, transparent, and willing to be in love being exactly who you are. That quote was shared to me. I have had the opportunity throughout my career to have a number of amazing mentors. And a woman that I worked for in Rochester, who I had, I had three bosses in Rochester. I was one of those classic matrix reporting relationships. And Sandy Schneider was my chair in emergency medicine. I had this magnificent administrator in the hospital by the name of Sue Powell. And then I worked for this magnificent woman, a pediatrician by the name of Ruth Lawrence, who is one of the world's most recognized experts on human lactation. She's also a clinical toxicologist, and she just served as an amazing mentor. I always say about Ruth Lawrence that she's forgotten more than I'll ever know in life. And Several years ago, at about the same time I was writing the letter for letters to a young pharmacist, she sends me a birthday card every year, and she sent me a birthday card with that quote on it. And as I was working on my letter, I thought, this is perfect, because it really does say it all. And again, to when you think about especially advice for young people, you know, being open and being interested in new things, curious about new things, and getting over that fear. Fearlessness, I think, is not something that for all of us comes naturally. I think transparency is really so critical. And, you know, and I'll say that as a gay man, and I think that there are probably a lot of LGBTQ people, I don't think everyone, but, and certainly those of us of a certain generation, that it took more work to learn to love yourself for exactly who you are because 
there were a lot of signals in society at one time that told us that we that there was something wrong with us. When you think that until the, the mid-1970s, that the American Psychiatric Association or the, the, that homosexuality was concluded in the DSM as a, as a disorder. And as I said before, society has evolved, but especially for those of us who have lived through that evolution and have been on the side of it when it was pretty difficult in some situations, it takes some real grit to say, I love exactly who I am. I remember having a conversation once with somebody who said to me, this still makes me sad to this day. If I could take a pill and change myself from being gay, I'd take it right now. And I really feel quite extremely fortunate that I have reached the point that I am so glad that I am exactly who I am. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be any different if, you know, I just, I can't imagine not being a gay man at this point because I, I actually love it. I, I feel that it's a, I feel that it's a gift. And so, um, I probably digressed a little bit there from your question on mentoring, but but I think the quote itself is something that it, I did share it in my letter because I think that it is something for, I think it's something for all of us to aspire to. Obviously, it's not just for mm-hmm. LGBTQ people, but I think there are some real messages in there. And you know, it's interesting, Hannah, when I think about it, I, again, <laughs> and one of the, you know, the probably the fearlessness, despite the fact that we talked about some anxiety and fear that came out in the openness, uh, transparency, all of that was so obvious to me in those conversations with every one of the participants in the podcast. You know, wow, what Absolutely. a fearless group of people. Yeah. And I will share with you um, that student that I referred to earlier that did a rotation at ASHP um, in his orientation meeting with you, you had talked about this quote and it was so meaningful to him. He actually wrote it down on a post-it note and in meeting with me, he shared it with me. So it does touch um, on many aspirational visionary things that people aspire to be. I will say that when I read it, I'm going to read it again, forever stay open, curious, fearless, transparent, and willing to be and love being exactly who you are. It does really encompass my experience with you. So I think you have definitely achieved that vision. Thanks, Hannah. I I really appreciate that. That means a, a great deal. Well, we're going to move on to my last question for you. And This podcast series was in celebration of Pride Month, where we honor, celebrate, and affirm LGBTQ individuals and their contributions to ASHP and to society. What did you enjoy the most as serving as the host for this series? Well, I I have to start off by saying it it really felt like an honor that each of these people, that they are willing to take their time and to tell their stories and be willing to trust me to to do this. 
again, this is a group of people who I think are very, very open about who they are. And they're very, very confident people. They're all leaders. But nonetheless, as you listen to the stories, they express some vulnerabilities as well and talked about some amazing things. You think about Jorge Garcia talking about growing up as a young boy in Cuba and, you know, what his perspectives were then. So for me, it was an honor that they trusted me to to talk with me, to talk with me so publicly about their stories and that they, that to be able to talk with people who I, at this point, all consider, uh, I consider all of them in some way or, or another to be a, not only a colleague, but a friend. The, to, to hear their stories was just the most amazing part. Some of them, as I said before, funny, uh, when you hear Jorge and Lehner comparing what their um, residency interview days were like at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center and just the fact that you can tell they still have fun with that. Again, Glenn talking about the way that he and his husband uh, have these very passionate discussions and I immediately clicked with them. But, oh, that's Nicolas and me. I get that, you know. Then in some difficult stories as well, the the story that Alexander told about an encounter with a physician during a physical exam was heart-wrenching. And he I really admire him for his willingness to talk about that publicly. And Lindsay, just the authenticity of who she is, and it just came through. She was sitting while we talked out on her deck, and she was just completely relaxed and was enjoying having a really nice conversation. And she was just so authentic. And so for me, just to get to know these people a little bit more and to be part of sharing their stories with ASHP members and others is, again, I think of it as a privilege and honor. And then to also be part of saying, especially at these extremely difficult times in which we're living right now, to be able to be part of something that says to our membership, ASHP is a home for and embraces people, all people, and that we embrace diversity. We embrace equality. We, we really do want to be a, an inclusive professional home. To be able to be part of that, it's funny, we started, and I think, talking about these podcasts before George Floyd's murder. And so the timing was somewhat serendipitous, but to be able to be part of them at this point in time was, was also, I, I would just go back and say a privilege because it's, uh, it's a very important conversation that needs to be had or needs to, it's, it's happening, but it needs to continue and it needs to be acted upon and to be part of ASHP's overall, overall response is, is incredibly rewarding. I remember, Dan, the very first LGBTQ reception that we held at the mid-year. We had never done it before. and We were wondering, would people come to the reception? And, um, uh, 
I just being in, remember being in there with you. And um, what struck me the most were how grateful people were to have a reception like that and, and people talking about their own personal journeys, very emotional, very touching. And now to see over the years how that reception has grown um, has just been an amazing journey for ASHP as well. And you were there from the very beginning. It's uh, been a very nice ride. We've been there together. The, the listeners should know that you and I have this tradition. We now go and have a cocktail be, before every one of them and that I'm your date to those receptions. So uh, people should it is, know it's, that. It's a bucket filler. It is. I mean, mid-year is a very exhausting time. It's very long days. But that is a reception, a night I don't, I don't mind going to. It, and it does, it does fill me professionally and personally as well. Yeah, we always stay till the lights come on. We do. <laughs> well, I'm looking at the clock, and unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. I want to thank you, Dan, for initiating the special podcast series and serving as its host and now opening up to serve as an interviewee to share your personal and professional journey. Join us here at ASHP Official and the Practice Journey podcast as we learn about how our members seek out, grow, and evolve during their careers. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you, Hannah. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.